Most merciful and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you blessed us with and thank you for this time we get to, to share with one another. We thank you for all the, the many blessings that you provide for us on, on a day-to-day -day basis. We thank you for this food. Please bless it that it might nourish our bodies and bless us to your service. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're... <clears throat> James is still... He's not through with us yet, guys. <laughs> not through with James chapter 3, <clears throat> the end of the chapter. He has more to say about wisdom. Two kinds of wisdom. <clears throat> How to distinguish between them. Uh, let's see, let me get my Bible open here too. I'll tell you, this is at least this is you know interesting. We're as a church we're doing a uh, read the Bible in a year thing, you know? Well, we're in Deuteronomy now, but I went through Leviticus and Numbers, and they, boy, that is the hardest thing to, to get through. That's just, exhausting, isn't it? Oh, man. I was so glad to get that behind me. I just read about uh, Numbers. <laughs> in Numbers, I just read about uh, Balaam and his donkey. Yeah, yeah. Yes. What's You're his late, name? Huh? Hey, I'm a little late. <laughs> My alarm didn't Balaam. go off. Oh. It's supposed to. And his donkey talking out of it, talking through his yeah. donkey. <laughs> yeah, there's some. It got it started to get interesting there a little bit, but boy, all that. You know, they go through one, you know, one, one chapter. They go through every. Let me see every tribe. Oh yeah, you get all the numbers of all the tribes, all the all tribes. Counting all the how many. How many uh, gifts they had to give her? How many oh, yeah. sacrifices? Oh, sacrifices. I'll tell you, I could just see a pile of dead animals around. And it was exactly the same thing. They got yeah. they all 12. Yeah. Well, Sam, read verse 13 for us. Where, where are we again? Verse 13 in chapter 3. In James. Chapter 3, verse 13. Verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the in the humility that comes from wisdom. That's it. Who is wise and knowledgeable? Okay. Which one of you guys think you're wise? A wise guy? Really wise. You don't want to be thought a fool, do you, Sam? No, not really. Have you, have you ever thought in it, you, you look like a fool? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's not a good feeling, Too many times. Too many times. Okay. Well, what, what was it that uh, made you look foolish? Was it something you said? You just feel a woman. <laughs> 
or something. You're dead. Well, I'll tell you a, a good example. I was taking my two kids when they were little. They were probably like two and four years old. And I was explaining to them how, you know, you had to be really careful. We were up in the Smokies and we were going across this stream. I said, now you be real careful not to slip on any of these rocks. You'd be, and I get out there and the first thing I did, boom, <laughs> right down in the water, you know, and they're looking at me like, like that, Dad, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. Give you an object lesson. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh. You're like a guy, and somebody said, what happened to your finger? Well, he says, I cut it, and this saw was working on How, How'd you do that? He stuck his hand in there and cut another one. <laughs> Just like that. Cool. <laughs> Worked fine, didn't it? <laughs> Well, he says, if, if you want to be thought wise, if you're wise and knowledgeable, and he, he connects these things together, doesn't he? Wisdom, wisdom and knowledge. They're not, they're not totally uh, different, but they are, there is a distinction, isn't there, between wisdom and knowledge. Someone is, how do you define the difference? Technology is information, acquired information. Wisdom is what you do with it. I used to have a college a professor in college. Someone would say something was common sense, and he'd say, "Common sense is that innate quality within us that tells us that the world is really flat." <laughs> he, he, he said that all the time. <laughs> Never forget that. Old line of knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing you don't put it in a fruit salad. There you go. Yeah. Uh, well, but he says that it's uh, kind of asking you, and it seems like who is wise and knowledgeable, and, and of course, most of us would say, well, I, w I would like to be, you know, wouldn't we? That would kind of be the normal response to that question. Well, we might not want to stand up and say, well, I am very wise and knowledgeable, but anyway, well, he, and then he goes on to say, well, show by your good, if you want that, show by your good life. That's this translation here. That your works, your works are done. Your behavior is uh, are done with gentleness, born of wisdom. One of the things that wisdom will produce or give birth to is, is a gentle behavior. He, he, seem, he seems to think that's probably the most uh, important sign, it seems to me, or at least it's a, it's a very significant sign. Your mind says humility. Of, of wisdom. Uh, says humility. Humility that comes from wisdom. Yeah. yeah. This is a vast thing. What did your verse say? Humility? What did your say? Humility. 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 Uh, and due to knowledge among you, he did tell a good kind of Satan has worked with meekness of wisdom. Meekness. Okay. Okay. Well, he's going to say more about uh, humility here a little, a little later, I think, isn't he? Um, verses 14 uh, through 16. Uh, uh, Sal, would you read those? Yeah. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, 
Do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Okay. So this is this is the very opposite of the humility or gentleness or meekness that he's talking about, which is born of true wisdom. Um, this uh, bitter, bitter envy, selfish ambition. Those are the, the signs of, a, of an arrogant fool. Uh, my, someone who's boastful, uh, arrogant. Uh, and what do they produce? This kind of envy and selfish ambition, which is the opposite of this meekness and humility. And this arrogance, boastfulness. Putting oneself forth. Says, there you find disorder and evil practice. Yeah. This is uh, verse 15. Uh, this doesn't. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly. Mine says earthly, unspiritual, de demonic, or devilish. This is a kind of wisdom. It is kind of a smart to put yourself forth, to, uh, to strive to be number one, to be noticed. There is a kind of wisdom in that, but it's, it's an earthly or worldly kind of wisdom, isn't it? He says that's the kind of, that's, that's how wise the devil is. That's devilish. It's a pretty strong term, isn't it? That's his sort of wisdom. That's how smart he is to put himself forth. A scheming type of wisdom. Yeah. He's got his schemes and seats. And, and where there is envy and selfish ambition, what is verse 16? What are you going to find? Disorder and every evil practice. Disorder and evil of every kind. Where wickedness of every evil kind. Where you find that, you're going to find chaos and disorder. You're going to find conflict and, uh, and evil of every kind. Uh, what is it? Where is it? Where is it coming Washington, from? Washington D.C. Where is it coming from? Pride. This kind of earthly, sensual, <coughs> devilish wisdom, isn't it? That's where disorder and evil come from. And where, where do, uh, where do all good works come from? Vote. From that human, humble, gentle heart, meekness. I worked 45 years in the defense industry, and I worked around a bunch of really intelligent, well-educated engineering types. That, I mean, some of them were near genius as far as their technical capabilities. But you saw you saw so much arrogance and ego. It just it was amazing. I mean, some of those guys. There was one guy they used to say, you know, he could, they put double doors on the front of the building so he could get his head in in the morning, you know. But, but I mean, it, it just he was so arrogant, you know, and, and, and he ran into that kind of thing all the time. Mm. 
then, then he kind of goes back to this contrast again. The wisdom that is from above, verse 17. Mm-hmm. What does that say, Larry? But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. All right. He's got several adjectives to describe the, the wisdom that is from above as contrast to this wisdom from above that is so arrogant and produces all kinds of disorder and evil. Uh, and look at the different uh, adjectives he uses here. First, first of all, it's pure. Uh, what does that mean? The wisdom from above is, is pure. No, it's holy. It's from above. It's what? It is from above, it's holy. Holy. It'd be holy, wouldn't it? Is that, what, is that the way you interpret the word pure, that it's holy? I suppose you can. Yeah. Um, he, he, at the end of that verse, he says it's, uh, it's without a trace of partiality, without a trace of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a kind of two-faced sort of thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You, you talk one way, but you act another way. Right. Uh, and uh, and that's kind of a... I wonder if that's what impurity is. Impurity means there's a mixture of two things, doesn't it? Right. You're, you're it's not be, uh, And I wonder if that's what he means by pure here. Hmm. That your, your heart isn't really where you say it's supposed to be or somehow or other there's some kind of act here some motive ulterior motives yeah ulterior yeah. motives yeah. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. Jesus is blessed are the pure in heart purity uh, pure water is just water isn't it pure gold solid gold just gold it's not mixed with uh, 99999% yeah 99.9 yeah mostly pure almost totally pure okay so but this uh, that the true wisdom is really pure you you, it, you get what you see I mean um, there's no doubt that, uh, that about what you, you, this person is about or who he is. Um, and then the next adjective he has is peaceable. Um, and and, uh, and, the, and then he talks about um, my version says willing to yield. Your version said, uh, after peaceable, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. Easy to be entreated. Yeah. It's easy. Uh, the true wisdom is a person who is, will listen and is easy to to go along. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't say, you know, uh, maybe, maybe you're talking about, you know, which restaurant we're going to go to. We're going to go to the steakhouse or the fish house. And uh, one guy says, well, I want to go to the steakhouse, or I want to go to the fish house. 
and, uh, and I ain't changing my mind. I don't care what you want to do, you know, it's my way or the highway. Right. That's, that's the opposite of being easily entreated, isn't right. it? Right. Come on, come on, do me a favor this time. <laughs> Go with me. Could you do it my way? Yeah. Peace, peaceable. Blessed are the peacemakers. I'm not, not interested in having a fight about this. Um, do, do people sometimes love a fight? Oh yeah, there are people that really love a fight. If, um, about just about anything. Yeah, on just about anything. Some people, well, yeah. Some people. Yeah. There's a temptation out there, there for all of us, though, isn't yeah. there? Uh, oh no, I, I never, I, I would much rather, I don't know, I never felt like I was that type, I never, that, that really, I always tried to figure out a good compromise and, you know, put things, put things together, you know, get more done that way than arguing. You're a pretty peaceable guy. Yeah, I'm pretty peaceable guy. Ah, there you go. Thank you. Well. We could always, maybe we could find a way to put Larry to the test. <laughs> See how peaceable he really is? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. No, you know, I, I, I've worked with people that just... And I got you. They, yeah. They weren't at all. I mean, yeah. they just, it was my way or nothing. You know? I always... And they enjoyed fighting about it. Oh, yeah. So they enjoyed, they didn't... Yeah. Uh, so there's this, um, that seems to be a primary thing he keeps emphasizing here. This people, people, peaceable, gentle, meek, uh, humble, um, easily entreated. We live in a society that values winning. Do you want to ride? We live in a society that values winning. Right, that's yeah. exactly right. Being, being right, you know, winning the argument as opposed to, as opposed to doing what's best. And, uh, and these, these traits produce uh, good fruits. Goes back to how you know somebody is wise. These traits, if, if these traits are there, purity, gentleness, humility, uh, then there's going to be good stuff. Instead of disorder and chaos, there will be order. There will be uh, kindness and love and, uh, and good, good fruits. Jesus said, what Jesus say, you will know them. The truly wise and good and the foolish and the wicked by their fruits, right? That's how we know. Mm -hmm. Now, in verse 18, he says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Uh, the fruit of righteousness. 
James has already told us back in chapter 1 and verse 20 about human anger. Human anger does not produce God's righteousness. Sometimes people like to talk about getting angry as, as righteous indignation. Right. Yeah. But James says uh, our anger doesn't really produce uh, God's righteousness. Uh, but true righteousness, the fruit of righteousness, justice, is sown in peace. You don't make something right by making war. That's kind of what he's saying, is that you only make something right or just through peace. It's sown in peace by those who are making peace. And, and so in chapter 4, it goes on then to talk about the, the disorder that comes about, the conflict and the divisions that come about through earthly, unspiritual wi wisdom. He goes on to say, those conflicts and disputes among you, where do they come from? People, you know, we're um, concerned about divisions in the church. Where do they come from? Why, why do people get, get mad at one another? Why are people in conflict? Why are they always fighting with one another? I think a lot of it has to do with pride. You know, yeah. again, they want to get their own way. They want to have things the way they want it. You, know? you, you must have read the book of James. <laughs> uh, because uh, it's kind of like a rhetorical question. Because then he says, do they not come from your cravings or your lusts that are at war within you? You ever think about your cravings being at war within you? They... Uh, they do set up this kind of uh, internal conflict, don't they? Because at one level, we, we uh, most of the time we are aware that we, these cravings or desires we have could cause us a lot of trouble. <laughs> and we, we, we might be better off if we could cool it a little bit. But, but it's hard to be cool, isn't it, when you want to be hot. When you, you, you've got something on your mind, or, you know, something's not happening that you don't like. Thank you, Judy. Where do your uh, uh, conflicts and disputes come from? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 
Um, you know, the Corinthians were, were noted for all their conflicts. And uh, he says, as long as there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not carnal, fleshly? It's carnality, mm-hmm. which which is uh, really the it's the uh, he uses that word fleshly or car- carnality to really talk about the law of sin. Romans chapter seven. There is a law of sin. It's the flesh. It's not by the flesh. It doesn't mean the physical body. He means that carnal nature, that sin, the sin nature. It's your sin nature that that produces quarrels and and conflict. Behavior according to human inclinations, he said. You're behaving according to human or carnal inclinations. That's where conflict comes from. So he says, you want something and you do not have it. We crave something. We have these desires. It could be either for, uh, to possess something or to have a position of power or to be noticed or wealth. Um, so what do you do? Well, he says, so you commit murder. That's where murder comes from. It comes from some kind of craving that you want something yeah. and you're willing to kill for it. Some of these crime shows, uh, I see that, you know, when a, a woman is killed, or, or, or sometimes even, and the husband, first person they look at, and about nine times out of ten, it's correct, yeah. it's the spouse, and sometimes all they want is uh, is uh, insurance money. The, the one that really gets me is this Murdoch killing, that they just get yeah. through doing how do you, how do you kill? I mean, he kills his wife and his son. I mean, that, that is just I, I, hard to understand. You know? And that's really what enforces what we're reading here. That those kind of those kind of actions can only come from you know that that earthly sinful nature. Oh, we have a And he had, he had apparently had been living a life of grasping, wanting more and more, cheating his clients, even though he was a very well, very powerful family, but could never get enough. The cravings, uh, whatever, you know, whatever craving the devil we have within us, if you satisfied, the trouble is it's never satisfied. Right. If I could just get this, I, no, you're not going to be happy when you get that. If that's what you're following, is your carnal desires, you'll who's, never be Who's a billionaire that said, I'm going to ask him how much money he said, one dollar more. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like alcohol, like an addiction, you know. If I could just, if I could just have a couple of drinks, I'd, I'd be okay. No, you get two, you're going to want three. 
said never, never enough. Never, never enough. Whether it's money, whether it's sex, whether it's you know power, whatever it is, when, once it once it takes hold, it's never enough. So if you want something, you have to, so you're willing to commit murder. That's what you're. He, ta he he uses the most extreme, but of course, before you actually physically kill somebody, you're willing to to hurt somebody else, aren't you? To get it, you're willing to step on somebody else. And and doesn't that go hand in hand with what Jesus taught? That you know Moses said, "Don't commit murder," but I tell you, when you know when you reach out in anger when you, you know, when you want to hurt somebody, that's the same thing. So, so murder is just, it's just the final step in a whole series of steps that come from these cravings that we have. And then he says, and you covet and something, and you cannot obtain it. You have this covet, you've got this desire, this craving. He uses the word covet here, which of course, that's the last commandment that God If you think about it, all of the other commandments really have to do with behavior, specific behavior. Covetousness is not a behavior. It's a, a, it's a craving, a lust, a desire, isn't it? That, of course, leads to certain behavior. And so he says, you, you covet, you cannot obtain it. So what do you do? I think it's interesting that my verse says you kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. It doesn't say... It doesn't say until you get what you want. It says you cannot have what you want, you know, which goes back to what you're talking about. You're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to get there. So what do you do? What's the last part of the verse? So you do what? You kill and cut. Uh, verse, uh, oh, the second part, you quarrel and fight. You engage in disputes and fights, don't you? You get argumentative. And you'll start fighting. And then he says, if you do not have, why is it you don't have? Because you do not ask. Because you do not depend upon God. Right. The reason we don't have the things, and he doesn't really qualify here, but he's really talking about what we need instead of the things we crave. Right. You don't have what you really need. You don't even have that because you don't depend upon God. You're not living a life in faith in God and trust in God and looking to God, open to the Lord to provide and in, and in gratitude for everything God does. You don't ask. And then he says, well, verse, verse 3, well, you do ask. Some people do ask, don't they? And they still don't receive. Well, why, why don't you receive when you ask? Well, then he says, 
if you yes wrongly for the wrong reason in order to spend it on your own pleasures. You're only asking out of your own cravings or desires. It's just your personal lust that's leading you to ask. Lord, won't you give me a Mercedes-Benz? The, uh, this has to do with, uh, talk a little bit about prayer. So, basically he's saying, there's no need to pray out of your own, out of these prayers. There's no need to give voice to God. Oh God, please give me whatever my heart is craving or lusting. Right? So what should you pray for? His will you're not going to pray for the things that you're craving and, and have a desire for. What should you pray for? You always pray for His will. He doesn't really say, does he? God, he says, God uh, is going to just give you what you ask for out of your carnal, sensual, earthly lust. So what should you pray for? Pray for others. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your enemies. Neighbors. Your neighbors. Your neighbors. And your enemies. How about praying for your enemies? Yeah. Neighbors and enemies. Pray for God to change your motives. Pray for God to change change the desires. Instead of praying for what you want, how about praying for what God wants? Right. Here's the will. Right. Praying the Lord's prayer. Is that the way? That's the way we should pray, isn't it? Praying for what God wants. You will be done. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the, even the uh, the uh, the Lord's prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Does God want His will to be done on earth? Is in heaven. So actually, what we're doing is just praying for the very thing God Himself wants, isn't it? Prayer is a way of trying to get in tune with the will of God. Right. And, and Jesus said, said, you know, that his food, my food, or I think King James says my meat, what I live off of, what, I, what gives me strength, what keeps me going, is to do the will of my Father. And we know he spent much time in prayer, didn't he? Yeah. Uh, and his prayers were in tune with the Father, weren't they? Because that was that was his whole goal in life, to be in to, to know the Father's will, to do the Father's will. And that was his whole concern, that the Father's will be done. That's a whole that's a lot different way than praying than, than just deciding what do I like? What do I want? What does God want here? All we need to do is say the Lord's Prayer then every day. Now we do a lot of times at the end of our prayers. We'll we'll put a tag on the end of our prayers if it be Thy will, which is good. Nothing wrong with that. But is it 
is it just a kind of a, a throwaway? Do we really mean it? Yeah. 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 Do we start out from the very beginning? Lord, what do you want? And, you know, I think that because the Lord's Prayer is so, not so much simple, but succinct, okay, we have a tendency to minimize it. And like Sam was saying, well, start out our day with the Lord's Prayer, that's, that's good. But we have to remember how much time Jesus spent in conversation with the Father. When he was trying to reconcile his his humanness to God's will in the garden. Okay? He prayed for hours. He prayed for hours trying to reconcile that and trying to make sure that he was in tune with what the Father and Of course wanted. he really struggled because his natural desire his he had a natural desire too that oh, sure. he didn't he certainly didn't want fully to fully man and fully God. Right. Right. To go through all that pain, Jesus only wants to go through all that. In the ultimate pain, he knew, he knew that to take on our sin would separate him from the Father, who right. he had never been separated from. Right. You know, that to me that was the, the far worse thing than, than the physical pain, which was also part of it. Yeah. But he spent he spent hours in prayer with the Father, ensuring that he was staying within the will of the Father. And, you know, certainly, certainly his, who he was, could have, could have opened somebody up to cry. I mean, I mean, look, he's, he's performing miracles. Right. You know, and the blind are seeing, the, the lame walking. I mean, how, how, how many godly men have we seen you know, stumbled because God has blessed them and then they they thought they took it upon themselves, you know, to pridefully think that they were the you know, they were the reason this was happening. You know, we've seen that happen over and over and over again. And I think the the humanness of, of Jesus, that's one of the reasons he stays in contact with God as much as he did in prayer and stuff was to ensure that that pride come into in fact, you know, uh, Jesus said, you know, if you have faith, you can you can say to this mountain, say to Mount Rushmore, get up, go to the Pacific Ocean, or go over the Atlantic, whichever you want. Huh. You know, Isn't that amazing. Yeah. You have faith. Um, but does that have anything to do with praying in God's will? The, does the Lord, does the Father want Mount Rushmore removed from its location to the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic? Yeah. Would that be a, would that be a concern also? And, and why would why would you do something like that yeah. other than to, to show people how great you are? Yeah. Okay. Well, the minute you're you go well, he there, is you saying, you know, that that, uh, that you that if you trust God, great things can happen if your faith is really in God. Mm -hmm. 
But but uh, First John chapter five verse fourteen. I have it in the notes here. Says this is the boldness. Really, if you're, you're bold in prayer, you can be confident and bold when you pray that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. That's what gives you boldness in prayer. Is that you're that you're asking according to His will. So how often, you know, in, 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 teaching, in prayer, the first thing is to get in touch with God and His will. And then you start asking. I wonder, I think sometimes we just encourage people to pray for whatever they want. Just start Tell them, asking God for what you want. You know, the first step is find out what God wants, not what you want. And then you ask. Is that a little different way of looking at prayer? I think there's, there's a level of uh, submissiveness that has to, has to happen that way. John Wesley that, that I go back to a lot you know, from the 1700s it says basically God I, I'm yours to do with what you will Okay, whether that means you're going to elevate me or whether that means you're going to lay me low not too many people are afraid to be laid low by God you know you know, yeah. you know, we we always want God to use us for something great, and part of that, I think, is because we want to be part of something great. Okay, but sometimes, you know, God wants to use you as an example of faith when everything is going against you. Hey, we don't often want part of that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, Moses's uh, first ambition was to be a shepherd way out in somewhere no. in the desert for 40 years. For 40 years. That was not his first thought. Right. <laughs> and how often do you hear people misuse the, the verse from Jeremiah, you know, that I know you have a plan for me and you have to, to prosper me and to, you know, because that's, that's part of what we want for ourselves, okay? It's not that we want God to be glorified by doing that. It's that I want to be part of a great plan. I want to be prosperous. Well, I want to be... Well, God, God wants to prosper you. What the Lord's prayer says, give us our daily bread. Right? God doesn't want you to go hungry. <laughs> He's not happy when people are starving. No. <laughs> Jesus, when he saw the multitudes that were out there, you know, a whole and, uh, no, nothing, no place to go, anything to eat, he fed them, didn't he? Yes. So God, God wants you to have food. So you pray for it because God wants you to have it. I always try to start off each prayer thanking Him for all that he's done first you know to me i think that's we should always do that i think we should always thank him you know we we wouldn't have another breath if it wasn't for him you know? and and that's a way i think of really getting in tune with god's will what has god been doing for me how has god blessed me 
acknowledging his faithfulness. His, his will, his will working out in my life, how the way he's blessed me. But it's also understanding that that what he what is given, you know, can be taken away. Oh, yes. And that may be God's will. Right. What did Job say? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Yeah. Yeah. Do we ever think yeah, about that? That it might be God's will. Well, yeah. we, we know that there is there is going to be hardship in this life. So, so clearly, God needs some of his people to be able to experience hardship and still show faithfulness so that he can show that to the world. We, we would just prefer to be examples of how we could be good Christians when we're prosperous and, and, and happy and healthy as opposed to be how can we be good Christians when things are going badly for us from an earthly perspective. We know God you know, put us on this in the universe. Here we are in this little block of rocks, third, third rock from the sun. And our continents all float around on magma. You know, I mean, and we have hurricanes, you know, and the climate, the climate of the earth, you know, the hurricanes form and bring heat up to the up to the north. And we have hurricanes, earthquakes and everything, and it's just like we're in such a precarious little rock in that universe. But it's like a perfect little place where we're just hot enough and it's cold enough that we have liquid water. Don't start talking about climate anxiety. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're I mean, you see where it's easy for them to get it. Well, if, if, the, if the Earth seems like a hostile place, try, try living on Mars. Yeah, right, exactly. There you go. Yeah. In fact, that's what you know, the astronauts, I think, said that you realize when you kind of look at Earth, there is this is a beautiful garden compared oh, to God. other places in the universe. Yeah. Well, compared to just about every place right. in the universe. Yeah, exactly. This, this place that he's built for us yeah. here it's, is unique. It's they, very they, unique. They kind of keep looking for other planets, you know, where some kind of life might survive. Made all this just for they us. haven't even Probably come did. close yeah. to he's, even he's finding a place where all, all the stars in the sky so far the earth otherwise we otherwise we wouldn't be able to move closer to the same yeah, we're in, uh, we're right where you needed us to be. Yeah. So now our scientific endeavors, now we got a spacecraft after a million miles from Earth, the Jim Webb telescope, and it's seeing, finding out all kinds of about new worlds, and, you know, they find these new worlds, and they still don't quite, they don't, nothing is rated, has really been good enough yet. To I have a book right now going through that basically says that basically it says science has killed atheism. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. The more we learn, the more we learn about our our universe and our world and stuff like that, the more ridiculous the concept of atheism is. Oh yeah. That that this all just happened. Yeah. Eckerd College had a, a science based seminar that we were invited to 
and they had some really top-notch scientists. Uh, the guy who did the, the one, he had a seminar on, uh, or it was an hour on, I said a seminar, on what, what is the universe made of? And he had, uh, he had been working most of his life at this laboratory in France where they had the big, uh, uh, what do they call it? He goes around 17 miles away. Yeah, the CERN The CERN glider. I mean, so he's, he was right in the middle of high uh, scientific research into, into physics and uh, particle physics. And uh, he was talking about what the universe is made of, uh, how much of it is matter, how much of it is energy, how much of it is antimatter and anti energy. And apparently, most of it is antimatter. Right. Whatever that is. Yeah. And in fact, of course, basically, he says, you know how he ended his seminar? He says, it was a quotation from Socrates that says, I don't know. <laughs> what is the universe made of? And this scientist, who is as knowledgeable as, you know, as a man could be, ends up his seminar by saying, I don't know what it's made of. After all this study and research, we don't even know what the universe is made of. Right. <laughs> we, keep, we keep coming up with these fudge factors. We, we have these things called dark matter and dark energy, which is, is stuff that we say, well, it must be there because it's the only way we can get this math to balance. That's, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. it boils down to. It's yeah, like we, we can't see it, there. we can't define it, we can't catch it. You know, but it must be there. Yeah. So it's, it's just a theory. It's not something they've right. ever well, we observe it. I guess they say we observe it indirectly because it's the only way you can explain. But uh, it's the only way so far. But but uh, there is this great mystery, isn't there? You know? Well. Who wants to be wise and knowledgeable? I'm <laughs> sure maybe you're close. So think about that, guys. Leave that question on your mind today. Meditate on that. Would I like to be wise? Would I like to be considered wise and knowledgeable? I don't know that I'd want that bird. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Too much knowledge could be a heavy burden. I was thinking about the other day. My my mother, her her mother took her out of school when she started when she was starting the tenth grade because she said, you know, women just needed to know how to cook and have babies and you know that was it. You know, so the the boys went all the way through high school, but she was just a girl and you know she just needed to. Do that so she took her out. But my mother had the most common sense of any person I've ever known, and I was saying about that the other day. I mean, she she wasn't well educated, but she she was able to decipher things that was and, just and amazing. that's not the same as intelligence. No, it's not the same as you intelligence. Know, knowledge, built up knowledge, is not the same as intelligence. That's true. Or wisdom. Yeah. Or wisdom. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well. Um,